over time, I started working with other coaches, and I found that if they could delineate, if they could demarc, if they could narrow in the fewest amount of words the solution to whatever challenge they were facing or the description of the challenge itself, the fewer words that they used, the more likely they were to actually take action on the thing that they were bottled up about. Instead of getting all weighed down with all the hundreds of things that they could be contending with, boom, if they narrowed it and described it in two words or less, then they'd get something done. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a voice for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. In today's episode, Jeff Bond chats with Bill Treasurer, Chief Encouragement Officer at Giant Leap Consulting, a courage building company that exists to help people and organizations be more courageous to drive superior performance. Bill talks to Jeff about the significance of courage as a core leadership characteristic, how leaders can identify what they need to start building courage, and shares his story of overcoming fear. Let's jump into this conversation with Bill Treasurer. Over to you, Jeff. Bill, I've been looking forward to this day. Thank you so much for sharing your gift of time and wisdom with our listeners today on Chat with Leaders. Jeff, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about leadership and leaders. It's about my favorite topic, and I know it is yours as well. Absolutely. Well, your content's inspirational. I've really enjoyed getting to know you as a, as a leader yourself and your story. So we're going to unpack the central theme today of simple truths for leading complicated people with courage encourage being one of your, your key platforms here. But before we really dive into that, I just want to ask if you could share with our listeners, what do you wish they all knew about the purpose that fuels your why? I wish they all knew how central it is to their own lives. And that is, I'm in the area of courage building. In fact, it's really what my business is all about. And it's my personal mission too. And that is to help people and organizations be more courageous by driving fear out and putting courage in. Uh, I have a courage building company, Giant Leap Consulting, and we're all about courage. And it's the first virtue of life. And that's been said since Aristotle. He said that courage is the first virtue because it makes all the other virtues possible. And then I connect it to the business world. I think it's the first uh, virtue of business and leadership. To be a great leader means to render bold decisions that some people are going to disagree with and to withstand the turbulence of that. Leadership requires courage. Life requires courage because life and work are, you know, have a lot of fear. And to face that fear, it requires the antidote, and that's courage. So I'd like all the listeners to know that, A, they have it, and B, they got to put it to work because the world needs more courage to drive fear out. Mm, so spot on. And, and spot on that you know, you're not always going to have everyone – liking you. You're not everyone have everyone uh, appreciating the decisions that you make as a leader and, and, and in order to get out in front and, and make those decisions does require courage. And I remember when I started my own business, someone told me it takes courage over comfort <laughs> to become an entrepreneur uh, because it really, it really does. There's a lot of fear that kind of creeps in and that's really just the enemy talking and trying to get you not to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I love what uh, Ginny Rometty, she's the CEO of IBM. She was speaking to at the uh, Fortune Magazine's Most Powerful Women's Summit. And she said, comfort and growth don't coexist. And she's right to grow, progress, and evolve. 
you got to move out into your discomfort zone. And so part of your job as a leader is twofold. One, you as a leader got to be doing uncomfortable things because you got to role model it. You have to be the first one up and off whatever high dive platform you're asking others to jump off of. That's your first job. And your second job is to make people uncomfortable. I, I don't mean it in a fear stoking way because man, that has diminishing returns, but I do mean it in a way that helps people aspire to an elevated performance that strives towards stretch, stretch goals, that asks them to ask themselves to constantly improve. And you got to do that outside in discomfort. And, and we have to become somewhat comfortable with discomfort if we want to continue to grow and face a really hard world. Hmm. Solid gold wisdom there. Well, you kind of teed up uh, where I wanted to go next with this because you have a really interesting story of understanding the significance of courage as a core leadership characteristic in your own life through the, the experiences that you've had. So can you share a little bit about that with our listeners today? Yeah, sure. I, it's, uh, you know, I've got my business. I always have to sort of rewind, right? Like I've had my business now for 20 years, which I'm, I'm proud of. And it, uh, in August, it turned 20 years old. Before that, I worked with a company called Accenture, and I used to be their first full-time internal executive coach. Before that, I worked for Executive Adventure in Atlanta, and I facilitated 300 outdoor experiential team building events before that, a boutique consulting company, high-performing systems. Before that, graduate school. And now, the theater of my business. And that is, I used to be a professional high diver. I used to dive from 100-foot platforms into little pools that were 10 feet deep, traveling at speeds in excess of 50 miles an hour, hitting a small pool that was 10 feet deep, protected only by a Speedo. Yep. <laughs> so I was a professional high diver with the U.S. high diving team. And and how I got into it was I was afraid of heights. I had a I was a really good springboard diver on the low board. And then colleges started to dangle scholarships in front of me. But they would all ask me about my high board list of dives, which I didn't have. And so I had a coach at uh, that would take me to Iona College. And they had a hydraulic lift uh, that they built the diving board on. Jeff, to this day, I've never seen anyone like that in the world, another diving board like that. So he was able to take my diving and say, all right, we're just going to go from one meter to one and a half meter. So now I'm out in, outside of my comfort zone, right? He's lifting the height and I'm afraid of heights, but it's a bearable amount. I'm going over on my dives. I don't want to go to practice. I'm upset with him. But after about a hundred dives, I get a little bit better at it and, and I start getting like used to it. So what do you think he does? He lifts the board. Now it's back to now it's up to two meters. Now I'm going over on my dives. I'm back out into discomfort. I don't want to do the dive. I'm really afraid. And then I 200, 300 dives, I get used to it. He's modulating between comfort and discomfort. And through this process, eventually the kid who had a profound fear of heights got a high board list of dives, got a full scholarship to college. I went to West Virginia University. And then eventually traveled around the world performing in aquatic entertainment productions, all because of a coach who held me accountable to my own potential by nudging me out into discomfort, not, not as punishment, but to help me actualize my potential. It was such a redeeming thing that later when I got into the workforce, I decided that you know this is a pretty good thing to devote my career to, helping other people take whatever high dive that they might be facing. And that's what I do now with whether it's individuals or with companies. 
I love that. You talked about actualizing potential and the guide, the coach that that helped you get there. By the way, I saw Adam Grant, uh, who I know a lot of people who listen to the show probably listen to his work as well as an organizational psychologist. He's a former high diver as well. I saw him getting back on the board the other day. When's the last time you've been up on the board? <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, I talked to Adam. He and I were speaking at a conference uh, for Fortune Magazine actually um, uh, a while back. And and we had that conversation before he went out. Um, uh, the last time, so it, I, I I need to see that though. I want to see him. You know, yeah, back uh, in Instagram. I think stuff. it's on Instagram. If you want to check out his feed, he was just posting. <laughs> now that I wonder day. is he was he doing a three meter dive or a twenty seven meter dive? Because we were up there at twenty seven meters. Wow. That's a, that's a lot higher than a high board, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's yeah. hundred feet. Um, the the last high dive I did was like in nineteen ninety two, and I. Uh, you wouldn't want to see me in a speedo these days, for one. <laughs> uh, but besides that, it's um, you know, I did fifteen hundred of them, and and it was, uh, it's it's not a sport that lends itself to a lifetime sport like tennis or, uh, you know, or some other sports, right? So so once you hang up your speedo, it's like it's hard to put it back on. At least in doing it from those heights. Yep. So I haven't done it in a long time. But what I do now, though, to get my adrenaline fix and to get my outdoor rush is uh, whitewater kayaking. And to me, it's the same thing. It's you've got water energetically all over you. It's exciting. You go with a bunch of crazy river rats like the high divers back in the day, the gypsies that we were, and uh, and it's still having that it's you against the elements and that you have risk involved, but if you pay attention, you focus, you practice, you can, you know, meet those elements as they were. So I don't high dive anymore, but I still get my thrill doing whitewater kayaking. Well, I love the the relationship, the, the metaphorical kind of connection to business and leadership. It's just so spot on. And you talked uh, in a previous conversation about uh, just struggles with courage when it takes vulnerability you know, admitting mistakes when you don't have the answer to every problem, those types of things. Uh, how is that a missed opportunity when leaders can't find the ability to be vulnerable in order to develop their courage? Right. We, when I started looking at courage back at when I wrote Courage Goes to Work in 2008, uh, at first I started set out and I thought to write this big thing, courage so it's like Jupiter. It's really large and people get dwarfed by it and intimidated by it. And so then they start saying, well, I, I'm not like that. I'm not a hero. Therefore, I'm not courageous. But as I started to think about courage and to research it and such, you know, where I've landed is that there's really three kinds of courage. The, the first, and I, they all begin with a T word. So try courage. And that's trying something you haven't done before, right? And facing the unknown as you're doing this action. Um, and then a tell courage. It's the courage of voice or assertiveness, the courage of the truth teller. That in and of itself is hard. But the dimension that you're talking about is what I call trust courage. And it's the courage of vulnerability. It's the courage to get disarmed. It's the courage to not be the take charge, right? It's the courage it takes to me to, to entertain where you're at, to listen to you, give you my full presence, and to entrust you and accept the risk that you might violate the trust or you might betray me and it's a it's a hard thing and yet a necessary to do because it's connected to human relationships if you can't get to trust and cross that you know take the risk that that is involved in trusting others then you won't have strong relationships that's it right so you've got to figure out how to put down your weaponry get disarmed 
and situate yourself with the other person, the other human being in front of you and give them your best self, uh, you know, coming at it a hundred percent and hoping that they'll respond to it with their hundred percent, right? You're not responsible for that person, but if you show up with your best self, you know, we call it cleaning up our side of the street, then the chances are much, much higher that that person, will. We're, we're always like, I'll trust that person when they can be trusted or when they prove to me. Trust is earned. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's, and it doesn't have to be earned. It could be, I'm gonna show up with my trust. I'm going to give you my trust. I'm going to be a good human being in this world, expecting that uh, that you will, you know, meet me there too. But, but, but even if you don't, I have to still be the, it doesn't, if you decide to not live into your integrity, it doesn't become my excuse to drop mine. Such good words of wisdom there. I've heard uh, Craig Rochelle say before that uh, trust is given, but mistrust is earned in, in his uh, in his books. I, I think it. that's a simple way to put it. And then uh, certainly, you know, another leadership uh, guru out there, Pat Lencioni, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team talking about that baseline of trust, whereas everything else sits on top of that. And so... Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that part of the, you know, the baseline under the baseline is, do you really trust yourself? Are you a yeah. trustworthy person? And and something, you know, I'll ask this question, Jeff, in workshops that we have in keynotes and such, right? Uh, I'll ask people if, to, you know, fill in this criteria, I will trust, trust you when, and then they'll, they'll tell me, they'll respond to that. And then I'll, you know, I'll have people sort of, is anybody in the room not trust themselves, right? And no hands go up except occasionally somebody will raise their hand and they'll get honest about, you know, a mistake they made and it taught them to, to, uh, don't take themselves for granted. There was one woman who she said that she had had a substance abuse problem in the last four years. She went to treatment. She's in a recovery program. And if she trusts herself that, uh, that, that will, if she trusts herself too much, she'll take it for granted. Right. That, so, so she was a, a person that right in front of a room full of a hundred people got vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that as leaders, showcasing our, our vulnerability, of course, you know, Brene Brown has done a lot of work in this area. Yeah. Um, I recently was with a group that I've been working with in Arizona, and the culture wants to create a sense of accountability, not that I hold you accountable, but that each person is transparently accountable. And so we designed the workshop, and one of the things that we had, it was a two-day actual planning event. We had somebody who had suffered through a really big loss for the company in the last year um, and had learned a lot from it. Uh, we had her come not to embarrass her, but to, to share with the leaders in the room, here's what went on, here's how it happened, here, you know, transparent in front of everyone. And when she was done, do you know what they did, Jeff? There were 25 people in the room. They all stood up and clapped for her. Wow. Because she had like testified with true vulnerability in front of the room, emulating the very cultural ethos that they're trying to promote in the company. And she came and shared something that any one of them could have made by way of a mistake. Um, but she did so in a way that absolutely took courage. That's a different kind of courage than charging the hill. It's, it's the courage of accountability, of trust, of getting disarmed, of being vulnerable. And it's 
really important to leadership. I imagine that gave so much agency to the people around her to be able to disclose their challenges and show their vulnerability. And, and certainly the, the applause that she received afterwards, affirming that that's okay, that it is a safe environment to do so, that that's actually a display of strength and something that's life-changing to the culture of an organization to be able to, to give people that, that agency and, and the courage, the permission to be that way. Absolutely. The permission is necessary. The, the other thing is that we look for in leaders and why we trust them is we look for honesty. It's like the number one thing that we want in a leader is honesty. And, and there, not only was she demonstrating sort of uh, trust vulnerability, but it was like touchstone level honesty. I'm hiding nothing here as I share in front of you, knowing full well that people can take advantage of that. And that's the risk, uh, the risk of the betrayal, right? But but she stepped into that courage and was willing to take that risk. And, and sure, it looked good for her, you know, in the, uh, I don't, she did not do that with the expectation of maybe they'll clap for me, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely the outcome. And, and she was uh, nervous going into doing it, really glad on the back end that she had done it. And so were the people. They were really grateful that she shared that uh, really honest moment with the group. Yeah, good point that it was a gift to others, but it was also a gift to her, you know, that she was able to, to share that. I mean, what a what a release that must be to be able to, to disclose that way. Well, that's all good stuff. I, I wanted to ask about your book because you, you've written some excellent books, but most recently you published Leadership Two Words at a Time. So what was the the impetus, the motivation, and who, and who encouraged you to, to write it? Well, you know, part of the impetus was, damn, the pandemic went on way too long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I started that. It's not over the COVID yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, this is true. The uh, I started, you know, in, uh, in during the, the, the intensity of COVID with uh, determined not to be productive, right? Mm. I'm like, like I'm, I'm not gonna. My, so many of my friends are. I'm gonna produce this. I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna. I'm like, I'm, I'm not. I'm like gonna get off the treadmill here for a minute and uh, see, you know, and sort of reevaluate and, and reconnect with my purpose and, and my family, right? Get off the road because I'm. A, I've been a nomadic person for a long time, and uh, and so I was purposely, intentionally not going to write anything and plus i'm i'm not a writer who writes on spec some people are like topical they're like they're like oh the, the eight lessons of starbucks because starbucks is doing so well i better write about book about them i think that's cheesy and <laughs> so i write when the muses sing and that's it like i i write when i'm inspired to write and i was not in the early COVID. and then as time went on uh, I've got it to a year and a half, you know, there's like, well, this is taking a long time. But I remembered a book that I had set aside about 10 years ago that I had been cataloging two word concepts um, because I had in, in coaching years ago, I had a coachee who he was in there. He, he wanted to become a partner at Accenture and he was an associate partner and he was really, really intensely fixated on becoming a partner to the alienation of his peers and to the, um, to the un discomfort of his senior leaders. They were like, this guy, this guy is too intense. He wants this promotion too much. Can you coach this guy? And so I was in a coaching relationship with him. And after a while I said, Hey, Steve, just bottom line it. What do you think is going to be needed before you're actually ready to be a partner? And, and, and I'm like, just the least amount of words, just clarify it for me. And he said, I think that I need to be calm and I need 
composure. I need calm confidence. That's what he said, those two words. I need calm confidence. I was like, it was like, bloom, the light bulb went off for him. But for me too, I was like, that's exactly what you need. And so we started to work on calm and confidence together. And then he'd get ready to go to a meeting and he would text me, going to that meeting today, CC, like I'm going to carry my calm confidence with me. Uh, and then so over time, I started working with other coaches, and I found that if they could delineate, if they could demark, if they could narrow in the fewest amount of words the solution to whatever challenge they were facing or to narrow to the description of the challenge itself, the fewer words that they used, the more likely they were to actually take action on the thing that they were bottled up about. Instead of getting all weighed down with all the hundreds of things that they could be contending with, boom, if they narrowed it and described it in two words or less, then it would be, you know, it would be, they would be, they'd get something done. So I got the old catalog during COVID and I looked at the list of items and I was like, you know, there's probably a book here for new leaders. The, like the, the, it's kind of essentialism. All right, well, let's narrow things down to what do you need most, not just so that you can become a leader, but so you can stay a leader. And that's really what you want to be able to do. And so where the book landed is it's leadership two words at a time. And it looks at three different dimensions of fitness, each one with a two word concept. You got to lead yourself. That's one section. You got to lead others, which is different than leading yourself. That's the second section. And you do both those things. You lead yourself, you lead others so that you can lead work. And that's the third section. Those three concepts, leading yourself, leading others, leading work, to me, characterize leadership fitness. If you do those three things well, you'll be fit to lead. I love the fitness aspect of it and the training that it requires. And so simple, people would say, oh, Bill, lead yourself, lead others, lead work. That sounds so simple. But, you know, so many people have this idea of over conceptualizing or putting big fancy words to it or, you know, really trying to um, just codify it in this kind of proprietary way. Uh, but, you know, it really does boil down to some simple, timeless principles sometimes that we need to be reminded of. And, and it's always a struggle sometimes to boil it down to just the simplicity of it. It reminds me of the saying, keep it simple, stupid, the kiss strategy. Um, but man, I mean, just, just what, like in, for that guy, and I think you said Steve or just some, you know, made up name, I'm sure, but for that guy or for any other, you know, leader that's out there and if they're struggling, uh, with kind of identifying what do they actually need to be a respected leader, you know, what, what is kind of that inflection point? Like, where do you encourage them to start, you know, thinking today uh, outside of, Reading the book would probably be a good first first step, but you know, what's a good thing that they can be doing? Yeah, so thanks for asking. You know, it reminds me. There's a, a friend of mine who started uh, that I was in a coaching. I can I actually I'm still in a coaching relationship with him, but he uh, took over. The, he became the CEO of a company that bears his last name, and the company is about a six hundred million dollar company, and. And he was, and he is young. He's about forty, and he he came to me. He's like, Bill, I'm getting all sorts of advice from the board of advisors. My dad has given me advice. The senior executives around here are giving me advice. I get so much advice. I know it's well intentioned, but where do I start? Like, how do I? I want to be a good leader, but where do I start? Because there's so much to think about. And instinctively, just working with leaders for a long time, I said, start by being a good person. Start there. 
Start with your character. Start with your integrity. Start by self-evaluation of what you're good at, what you want to do, the legacy you want to leave, uh, and the overuse of your strengths and the shadow that that casts. So start by, by that. Start by polishing your conscience, right? Um, we talk about the, the two-word idea. And you're right. I used to be an official member of the Legion of Leadership Complexifiers, <laughs> right? Like, like we try to – It's only, it, uh, honestly, Jeff, I, I, where, where I come down on that now is I think a lot of authors are trying to pr- impress the reader. Instead of give the reader stuff that works, they're trying to show the reader how smart they are. Oh, academic. I used to use – yeah, <laughs> the, the academic. I'm going to use the SAT words and well, I should be able to say this much more simply, but I'm going to use all these flowery words – I learned back in graduate school and such. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, but, but look at what Socrates, know thyself, right? Two words, but, and that's actually the first, I ripped him off. I, I, it's the first chapter in my book is that. And it's got to start with self-knowledge. Let's start there. And there are things you can do. There's, there's uh, exercises you can do in the book about to gain self-knowledge. And one of the things about know thyself is identify your values. What do you stand for? What do you stand against? What what matters most to you from a principle level, and start by the, the identification of that. So so that's you know in with the you're going to have to do like hundreds of other things as a leader, but boom, start there by being a good person. Start with self evaluation. Start by knowing who you are and the impact you want to leave in this world. Mm. I love that. And then so many people talk about being your authentic self, quote unquote. Right? How do you be your authentic self is you actually know yourself and you're actually authentic in, in your actions. So yeah. versus just trying to come up with some uh, some model character who you are. So I think that's just great wisdom and highly encourage everyone to read the books. So for those that are reading the book and listening to this episode, what's kind of the big takeaway that you want to leave with listeners today and uh, future generations that, that pick up this content? I guess, uh, you know, sort of two things. One is don't get subsumed by leadership. It's a heavy responsibility. When you move into a leadership role from an individual contributor, at some moment, the honeymoon will wear off and you'll be like, man, I didn't know what I signed up for. For one, you didn't know you were going to have to be a psychiatrist many days of the week, right? You you just thought you were going to do operational stuff and tactical stuff and your professional discipline stuff. But oh my gosh, I'm having to deal with the idiosyncratic people around me every day. And sometimes they could be whiny babies and and usually it's me. I'm usually the biggest whiner in the bunch. And so nobody tells you that. Nobody hands you a playbook. Don't get subsumed by the, the thought of, the heavy load that uh, that leadership can can carry if you let it. Instead, just focus on the next right thing in front of you. Take it, like I say, two words at a time with whatever the two word concept is that you're facing today. So that's one. And it, and not only will it become bearable leadership, it'll become enjoyable. Like it'll you should be able to joy have joy enjoy the act of leading. It should be joyful for you. The second thing that I would say is what I bookend the book with, and that is I start the book with the same two words that I end the book with. I dedicate the book with the two words I'm going to share with you. And then the last chapter, the title of it is these two words, be courageous, be courageous. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yep, you're going to have fearful moments. Yes, you're going to be intimidated by people and by business in and of itself. 
Uh, and there, sometimes you're going to meet challenges that you would rather walk away from. So be courageous because you will find redemption in the courage that you have been blessed with. It's inside of you. The world needs your courage. And if you're in a leadership role now and the baton is being passed to you to leave the world a better place, it's going to take your courage. It's going to help you activate the best of you to activate the best in others. Mm. Rewind that, listen back, you know, great, great wisdom in there, finding redemption and what you've been blessed with, which is already inside you and activate that. Be courageous. Love it. Bill, if people wanted to uh, go download your book uh, or buy, uh, purchase your book, go online, find a little bit more about your leadership, where would you direct them? You know, any online retailer, you're going to be able to find the book. Uh, you can also find about the book and me at couragebuilding.com. That'll take you to Giant Leap Consulting. And then we have a, a book page there that both not only will you find out about the book, but there's a huge resource page on the book with downloadable material and material and shareable material. So couragebuilding.com, that'd be the best, easiest way to get in touch. Well, as you know, folks, it'll be in the show notes. So go check that out. This will uh, be on chapelleaders.com as well as all the major podcast directories. So Bill, thank you so much again for sharing your gift of time, your leadership wisdom. It's uh, been such a joy to be with you today. Jeff, I'm the one who should be thanking you. I enjoyed it greatly and you're doing a great service. Thanks so much for having chat with leaders. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.